Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the table at a dance competition? Exactly what are the judges looking for anyway? This is Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. Each week, we'll cover a different topic related to the world of competitive dance from the perspective of the judges behind the table. All professional dancers know to expect the unspoken question at holiday gatherings and high school reunions. How much money can a professional dancer even make? Well, we're here to shed some light on this personal yet understandable question, as well as give some insight into changes that are happening in the dance industry to make compensation for dancers more standardized and fair. Hello, dance world, and happy Thanksgiving. This is Courtney, the host of Making the Impact, and I'm here with my co-host, Leslie Mueller. Hi, Courtney. Happy Thanksgiving. Yay! What are you thankful for, Leslie? Oh my gosh, I am thankful for season five of Making the Impact because we just keep on making the impact. And um, what else? Thankful for my cat. I'm thankful for dance. Um, And I'm thankful for the holidays in my new home, which I'm super excited that I have decorated and I'm going to have it decorated in December. So it's going to be awesome. Yay! I'm thankful for dance, of course, as well. I'm thankful for a career that I love. I'm thankful to travel. I've been traveling so much and I'm so happy to be back doing that. I'm thankful for new opportunities that are heading into the new year for me. And I'm thankful for the competition season. Yeah, because it's, it's coming up. It's almost here. <laughs> Yay. Well, uh, to all of our listeners out there who are enjoying a Thanksgiving feast in the States, I hope that you are spending time with loved ones and family, or maybe you're doing Friendsgiving, which is always a blast. So wishing everyone out there a happy Thanksgiving from Making the Impact. And today we're talking about a very interesting topic, and I think it's been a very requested topic from a lot of our fans in our Facebook group. So requested. People are dying to know about this information. And we're here to give it to you today after we have sought long and hard for the right guests to be able to give you a well-rounded picture of pay rates in the professional world. Yes, but before we jump in to this week's episode, let's hear from our sponsors. Under the co-artistic direction of Francisco Gella and Usha Marie Zorzano, Zeitgeist Dance Theater is a summer season professional dance company based in Santa Fe, New Mexico. From the German word Zeit meaning time and Geist meaning spirit, known as the spirit of the times. Zeitgeist Dance Theater reflects the now, the essence, and spirit of the age in which we presently live. Zeitgeist Dance Theater discusses topics that are difficult as if topics are not discussed, change will not come. A core company value is understanding what is going on in the daily atmosphere and having a response for the future. The company also offers a training experience, providing emerging professional artists from ages 17 to 24 with a taste of professional company life. The company's trainees are selected annually through an audition process to participate in a three-week integrated company experience during the summer, culminating in a performance at the New Century Dance Project Festival. Application submissions for the training experience open on December 1st, 2024. Learn more about Zeitgeist Dance Theater and their trainee experience by visiting their website at zeitgeistdancetheater.org. All right, everyone, the episode you've been Dying to hear. We are talking all about pay rates in the professional performance dance industry, y'all. If you want to be a professional dancer one day, if your dancer says, Mom, I want to move to New York City and become a professional, I want to move to Los Angeles and dance for an artist. And the parents are probably thinking, Oh my gosh, what does that even pay? I have no idea. 
guess what? We're going to tell you all the pay rates that exist, hopefully, in the next hour. We're going to try to cover it all, y'all, but we can't make all the promises. But we're going to try to give you a little crash course as to an idea of what is going on in the industry when it comes to getting paid as a professional dancer and making a successful career out of it. We have two IDA judges and current active professionals in the dance industry joining us from both coasts today. We have a New Yorker and we have a LA dancer coming to you live on Making the Impact. And the first guest that I'm excited to welcome is a new guest to our podcast. She just joined our IDA roster as a judge last season, and she's out in Los Angeles having a beautiful dance career out there. I'm excited to welcome Kaylee Ann Nasora to the podcast. Welcome, Kaylee Ann. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to learn all about what the LA dance scene is like, because obviously, Leslie and I are both over on the New York scene. That's where we've had our entire career. And I've been in LA and I've heard things from the LA scene, but I really don't know, especially now, what's going on out there as far as different types of gigs and what the pay is looking like for those. So can't wait to hear all about that from you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. And if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about you, where you grew up, uh, your early dance training, any career credits, and what you're working on now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm originally from New Hampshire, right on the uh, sort of seacoast area. I currently live in Los Angeles, as you said. I grew up in a pretty standard competition background, your ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop. And pretty quickly, I sort of gravitated towards hip hop more than anything. And from there, I realized, well, that's not really what's happening in New York as much as it is in LA. And I found myself really gravitated towards the fusion of jazz and hip hop and contemporary that lives out in the LA scene made my way over there. And I am currently working on a, a national tour with an artist, Ileana. And some of my other career credits include The Weeknd, SZA, Sia. I did a European tour at the beginning of this year with Mel C, Rag and Bone Man, and Elle. And yeah, I think that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. Yes, you are living that commercial dance life out there. I'm sure <laughs> so many dancers are hearing this and saying, that's the career that I want as you know, an upcoming aspiring professional. So I can't wait to hear all about uh, how it's been for you navigating the LA dance scene. Yeah, I'm excited to share. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Next special guest is a returning guest to our podcast. And she hasn't been here since season three. But fun fact, she was on our very first podcast episode ever in the making the impact history the very first one season one episode one and that episode was what dance competitions taught me oh that's such a great way how we kicked off making the impact podcast and look at us five seasons later a few other episodes you may have heard her on was season two episode 31 making the most of your classes and season three episode 77 the open category such a hot topic I'm excited to welcome back IDA judge Ashley Marinelli. Hi, everyone. How are you? I'm so excited to be back. Yes, I'm so thrilled to have you back on this chat. And I'm so excited to hear because I know that you are currently working as a choreographer now. You and you and I, we go way back to performing together in the New York City scene and auditioning so many auditions together in the New York scene. And now you've transitioned over to being more of a creative and a choreographer and producer and all the things. So I know you're still in it and still active in doing auditions for dancers now. So can't wait to hear what you have, you know, what you've learned through your years as a working professional. And if you wouldn't mind just sharing with the world, reminding them a little bit more about you. 
For sure. Uh, yeah, I'm Ashley Marinelli. I grew up in New York State. I went to NYU for dance. I ended up in the concert dance scene for a while, then shifted or kind of simultaneously. My dog is squeaking her toy. I'm so sorry. That's <laughs> okay. No, I started out in the concert dance scene and kind of transitioned over to the theater scene. And so the place where I live right now is uh, shows that often are a hybrid of like concert dance and theatrical uh, movement. And I've had a lot of fun there. I also do some commercial dance, but mostly based in New York. I've danced with some artists. I've worked for Disney Cruise Line. I have been in many a musical. I currently have a show running off Broadway called A Musical About Star Wars. And my show Stranger Sings, which I also choreographed, um, was off Broadway. Then we were in Australia. We just closed in Australia. We have a tour going in the UK right now. And we're headed to a production uh regionally in tampa florida this march so cool doing all the things you are you're always doing something ash i love following your career and your journey you're just killing it and don't you also teach at like three colleges or something i do well <laughs> right now it's it's two it's two right now i'm at i'm at marymount manhattan which is where i just came from which nice. Is why oh, I'm nice eating lunch during this podcast <laughs> and i also teach at long island university uh awesome. out in long island amazing Awesome. And I'm so glad I, I remember you doing your Disney cruise ship that I was like, oh, yeah, you've done a cruise ship. So you can also <laughs> speak on that. So we are we're really covering all the bases here when it comes to the New York scene, Broadway, concert dance, cruise ship things. And then we have Kaylee Ann na navigating the commercial side. So let's jump into this chat. Can't wait. So excited. Yeah, we have we have a little bit of representation from everywhere, which I think is awesome. But first, I want to give a just a very, very general because I know it can get in the weeds about uh, non-union versus union in both the theatrical world and the commercial world. Uh, just so that when we reference those things, because those those uh, titles and those uh, memberships matter in terms of pay, so that people are like, "What do you even mean by this?" So, Ash, can you take union and non-union in terms of equity, and then Kaylianne, can you tell us a little bit about the SAG After Life? Yeah, for sure. So in the simplest terms, equity is also known as actors equity. It is a union that started, I believe it was 1913. Check me on that. Fact check me on that. Ooh, but got the dates. started at the Players Club on 20th Street, which is where my show that I produced <gasps> it, last May uh, was. So cool. there's a room, you can see the plaque on the door. It's where a bunch of disgruntled actors got together from the Broadway scene. And we're like, we should really have a union. So I think it was 1913 at the Players Club. And basically, they came together and demanded certain benefits and certain rights and certain pay scales for Broadway actors, which also includes dancers, stage managers are also included in that. So you can be part of the union and the pay rates and the benefits and the healthcare is is one particular thing, or you can forego that and stay non-union. And usually the rates are much lower and you're not guaranteed healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. We can talk about the dicey territory in between and how that's mm -hmm. changed over the years. But in general, that's what we're talking about. Yes. And just a quick note, you can't just say, I want to be in the union and be in the union. That's different than other unions. If, you're, if your parents are like in the postmaster's union, I don't know if there's a union for them. But a lot of unions, you can just sign up and say, I want to be a part of this. In Actors' Equity, you cannot. So just we can go into that and maybe a whole nother podcast episode. Like, well, I mean, now you kind of can, but just kidding. I mean, you had, yeah. Back in our day, you had to actually earn earn credits before you were allowed in. Anyway, yeah, feel yeah. free to cut all this out if you hate it. A whole no, nother, a whole nother podcast. But anyway, so 
when you're when you're working within Actors Equity, there's a standardized amount of money that you're going to be paid based on your contract. When you're a non-union person, kind of anything goes. And just to chime in really quick to just let everyone know that we're speaking of the New York dance scene, but when we're speaking about the Actors Equity Union, there are more unions besides the Actors Equity Union in New York City, but this is specifically for any type of musical theater theatrical type of performance. So anything you see on Broadway and regional theaters around the country is what we're kind of speaking about there. Though it does get tricky, especially when you're working for Disney, because I forget which one is which, but Disney World is a equity. Aqu- actor, equity. Yeah, actors equity. Disneyland is Agva. Yeah. Agva, yeah. And Radio City Music Hall Christmas is Agva. Is Agva. Oh. Variety Va. artists. Variety, variety artists. artists. So there's a bunch of different unions, but and then Metropolitan Opera is AGMA. AGMA. Mm, so they're all yeah, they're all <laughs> unions, but they all govern slightly different pieces of the industry. Yeah, Actors Equity is for theatrical productions. AGVA is uh, a union for variety artists, which includes Radio City Music Hall, which includes like some cabaret acts, etc. I think Cirque du Soleil might be an AGVA might be, might production. Be, yeah. Etc. Yeah. Yeah. I've never. Yeah. Anyway. It's a lot now more I'm complicated. Thinking. It's a lot more complicated yeah. than you might think. Just yeah. so for everybody out there who has no idea, we, we also sort of sometimes have no idea because it's very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Season six, we'll do a non-union versus union episode. for Oh, you that would be a spicy one. <laughs> a very spicy. Oh, yeah. Punches will be thrown. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kaylee Ann, tell us a little bit about what SAG-AFTRA is and the non-union difference. Yes, totally. And it's funny because the same thing goes in LA where there's SAG-AFTRA, we all know SAG-AFTRA, but do we really know what that means, right? I used to work at an agency um, as one of my side hustles and I used to have actors that have been in SAG-AFTRA walk-in and they've been a member for eight, nine years and they still said, well, I actually don't know how that works. Or yeah, I'm a member, but I'm actually still figuring out what that means or this term or that term. So even as a member, you can still be figuring it out. So but SAG-AFTRA is the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and it's an American <laughs> labor union, and it reflects a merge between SAG and AFTRA. So SAG-AFTRA does not just represent dancers, it also represents a lot of the people that you see on TV, right? So those actors as well. A lot of times commercial models can fall under this category too, because you can join SAG by getting, you know, your SAG, working on a SAG voucher. And so that SAG voucher can come from a variety of different places. But it's not just dancers, it's not just actors, and it's not just models who may find themselves in commercials as well. But essentially, then you have non-union, which is pretty much anything that's not SAG-AFTRA, but then it can also get sticky because you can work on a non-union waiver on a SAG project. So just because a project is SAG does not necessarily mean that you're working as SAG, so it can get sticky. And then there's also a variety of SAG contracts that you could work on. And all those pay scales look different, but it essentially ensures a certain type of protection on set, um, hazard pay, meal times being in proper increments. It can also ensure that your hours on set and your time before returning back to set is fair and ethical. And it can also provide healthcare if you make enough money throughout the year working under a SAG waiver. So only the money made working on SAG projects goes towards that number. But if you reach that number, then you have the opportunity to get great healthcare. And you also have the opportunity to get screeners, which is seeing all of the, the films that are nominated for the Academy Awards. I also think another another thing regarding SAG, when we're, th- when we're speaking in the commercial side, and I'm 
uh, I learned this as I was working on commercial things in New York. Uh, another perk to being in the union is residuals, which is in yes. non-union world, there's not there's usually more of like a buyout. So if someone goes and works yes. on a contract, you they can set their rates to whatever they want in non-union and they can say, all right, we're not going to give you a residual each time this runs on television, but we're just going to give you a lump sum of here's just extra cash to throw at you to just cover that and essentially yes. act as your residual. And it's technically a buyout, which is actually worse sometimes because if yes. this would have been in the union, and it would have been, and if you see, you know, those commercials that you just see play 24 seven and the whole time you see it, oh, I'm yeah. just thinking like, dang, that person's probably making so much money on residuals, but you don't know because if it was a non-union co- commercial, then they probably aren't making residuals. But if it's a SAG after commercial, they're probably raking in the dough in residual money. So that's totally. another perk. I always say the bigger the buyout, the more red the flag uh, with non-union because (laughs) although the number can look really exciting, like I, especially when you're first moving out somewhere, that non-union buyout could look like $10,000. And oh my gosh, I mean that, if you find a good deal, that could be rent for the year. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So that number looks really exciting, but the reality of it is, is if that commercial had residuals on it and was part of a SAG contract, that could look like $100,000 or more. So yeah, it's important to note that sometimes those big buyouts can kind of be a ripoff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're going to talk all about it. But uh, (laughs) thank you you both for sharing that. And I think for our listeners, that's just kind of like a little insider look at what union versus non if we do reference that throughout this discussion. Yes. All right. Well, I guess let's just jump right on in because the people want the numbers. The people want the numbers. And you know, we, we we've, start? we've all been there with like, you know, you, you go to your Thanksgiving dinner, well, it's literally Thanksgiving. So you might want to listen to this before Thanksgiving dinner. So you have some information <laughs> right. to give your great uncle Sam, you know, who's like, well, what, what could you possibly do dancing? You couldn't make any money dancing. Well, some of us can. And let's get started. Let's what is a Broadway contract for a dancer look like in terms of pay? So currently, uh, there is a Broadway minimum. Now, all Broadway shows are, well, it's getting tricky now, but I was going <laughs> to say all Broadway shows are covered under uh, actors' equity. So, well, used to be that any Broadway show you would be part of, you were covered under ac- actors' equity guidelines. Now, there are some exceptions with like magic shows that end up on Broadway and variety oh. shows or like mm-hmm. one night guest you know, Bruce Springsteen is technically playing a Broadway theater and you're a backup dancer, you're not covered under equity. So it gets a little dicey these days. But in general, currently, the minimum salary for a Broadway performer as of 2023 is $2,439 a week. Now that's we're talking minimum minimum, which is a great I think that's That's a great great salary. I don't even think the word minimum applies. That's a lot of money. (laughs) It's a lot of money. Now, uh, you can get uh, bumps for, for example, hazard pay for moving a set piece in a scene that you're not in. There are all these tiny little bumps, yeah, bumps that bumps. you can find. Uh, for example, if you're a dance captain on a Broadway contract, you get an additional four hundred sixty-four dollars and sixty cents per week. So added to that oh, minimum, that's cute. If you're a swing who understudies multiple ensemble tracks, you earn an additional one hundred sixteen dollars and fifteen cents over the minimum. Gotta have that 15 cents. And you Should gotta, be more. <laughs> and all of these numbers are like products of negotiations between Actors Equity Union and producers. And, and you know, 
they get updated every so often. I think we just had a negotiation cycle and I think mm. new things were added to the contracts, et cetera. But assistant dance captain, $232.30 a week. If you're a fight uh, captain who maintains the fight choreography, if the show has fight choreography, it's an additional $100 a week, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're an associate choreographer and a dance captain on top of your Broadway minimum salary, that is that is a decent paycheck. Now, what you do have to remember is 10% will go to your agent, 10% will go to your manager if you have a manager, and then you also pay equity dues. So they're called working dues, which means because the union is protecting you, they take, I forget what the rate is right now, but it's usually, I'm going to say it's somewhere in the like 3 to 6% range. I could be mm. entirely wrong. I'd have to fact check that. But that amount goes to the union so the union can keep fighting mm-hmm. for its members. So basically subtract 25% from right. that salary. Still a good salary, but you know, it's not And then also your And then taxes, you subtract government your taxes, healthcare right? and right. pay you know, all the like, things. <laughs> pre-tax right. that's over $100,000 a year. I if know, you're a working great. performer If we're on talking Broadway, about like Dancers. You know, The Lion King, mm-hmm. a show that's been on forever. It's not closing. You got in mm-hmm. when it was good and you're still there. Like, yes, that's great. Yes. And I had a friend that that joined Lion King uh, really uh, right out of school. And she was granted what's called, um, a, I think it's a pink contract, right? Which basically means you have a job until the show closes down or you <gasps> don't fit your costumes anymore. Wow. I don't know if they still do that, but like, when she joined the show, she was given a pink contract. Wow. And I've never heard of that. Apparently. And this was in 2009. Wow. 2009. So I don't know if they even do that anymore, but she stayed in the show for a long time. And then she ended up moving on to other things. Right. She was, she had, she had spent her time. I think she was in it for like seven years or something. And then she decided to leave. But anyway, yeah. So that's the minimum. And if you have an agent, which is, where 10% of your salary would go, they can also negotiate up for you. Like Mm -hmm. if I have an agent and I say like, listen, I think I am worth more than this $2,439 a week based on my past credits, based on like, I'm the only tenor I know that can sing the tenor track and do tumbling and kick your face and kick your face. (laughs) And I don't know, there are ways to negotiate that salary up. So that's where it starts. And then uh, leads of Broadway shows, of course, are making way more than that. They get to negotiate up. I feel like I heard something. Now I'm going to get these numbers wrong. But I want to say when, who was it in, I want to say Barbara Streisand was like making like 65,000 a week as the lead. (laughs) But this was 10 years ago. Like salaries for leads, especially if you're a well-known lead, get crazy. Yeah, crazy money. But uh, yeah. But us dancers on the ground here is right. 2439 a week. That's just that's some livable money right there. <laughs> it's livable. And I will say that, like, for our listeners out there, we started at, like, the top tier contract yes. that you can I, I wanted to give get. everybody, like, the the goal. You know, it's like nobody goes into dance wanting to make $200 a week. Like, we want so to make a I've living. I've definitely we, done that. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> so, like, so I was I was planning on starting at the top, and then we'll start at the top of commercial life on the other side. And, and then we're going to w- make our way down to probably the more norm, where the majority of people make their monies, plus yeah, all the so other things we just, do to make our money. Though yes. I will say, can I make it just a little bit more complicated? Yes, always. More complicated. <laughs> Talking about, like, royalties and things. There's such a thing now called profit sharing when it comes to Broadway shows. Now, this is kind of a brand new thing. I think 
the production of Hamilton was the first mm, production yes. to do it. Makes sense. Fact check me on that. But what that original cast got, because they were part of making the show from the ground up, all the workshops, all of the work that went into creating the show, which the cast had a lot to do with. If you were part of the original cast of Hamilton, you have a, I think those actors and dancers have profit sharing now, which means I think they get a percentage of global ticket sales. Mm. I am not an original cast member of Hamilton, so I cannot confirm, but I feel like I've got friends who told me about that. And it's this great system where like, if you had a hand in making the original thing, you are owed part of the profits, the show globally. And so that I think that was the first company to do it on Broadway and it was really innovative. And those people are like, it's really nice that the producers were able to do that, especially yeah. since they made they their fought investment for it, back. And yeah, yeah, they totally fought for it for a while, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's I, you mentioned it, and I was like, oh my god, I remember when this was happening. Yeah, because they because for it. you know they worked really hard, and it wasn't just Lin Manuel Miranda; it was everybody involved. So of course they should get some money. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know that it's some percentage of ticket sales. You know, who knows? It could be one percent of one percent of ticket sales, right. and that would still be a nice paycheck. Yeah because of Hamilton has multiple companies around the world. Absolutely. So yeah, we'd have to ask an original company member, but I do yeah. know that they have profit sharing and now other productions are starting to do that too, which is which is cool. Yeah. That's great. Super smart. Coming to you from our season 5 premiere sponsor Francisco Gala Dance Works. I'm excited to introduce New Century Dance Project, a festival of performance and choreography. New Century Dance Project focuses on teaching the craft of choreography and why it's important for both choreographers and the dancer. Festival components include a choreography intensive for dancers ages 15 to 24, a choreography competition, concert performances, and community outreach events. The seven-day intensive starts every day with a technique class. After that, Participants will head into classes and seminars that aid in the choreographic process, such as compositional techniques, improv, use of props, music selection, partnering, lighting and design, and so much more. The choreographic competition offers three age groups, high school, undergraduate, and emerging professional. If you are an aspiring choreographer ages 15 or older looking to advance your composition knowledge and display your work in an artistic choreography competition, then look no further than New Century Dance Project, taking place this summer in Santa Fe, New Mexico from July 29th through August 4th, 2024. The deadline to submit your choreography for consideration is by March 1st, 2024. Use our exclusive podcast promo code MAKINGTHEIMPACT in all caps when registering for the festival to receive $75 off. Learn more on their website at newcenturydanceproject.org. All right, yeah. so we've covered the, you know, probably one of the highest paying, you know, jobs in dance, which is a Broadway dancer. And let's go over to LA. Let's move on over to the sunny state. What do things look like on the SAG after side in commercial dance? What's maybe like, in your experience, the highest paid job that you know of or that you can think of? Uh, I would say dancing on a SAG commercial is, is going to be the quickest way to make the most amount of money. It's typically maybe you have a fitting, maybe one to two, three shoot days feels crazy for a commercial with the way that the commercial world is working right now. They're trying to do as much as they can in one day. So call it a day plus two hours of work could have the ability to make you six figures. And again, that's uh, based on, you know, residuals coming in. And that, you know, I have friends that have worked on a Super Bowl commercial and they made half a million dollars in one (gasps) day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's that ability, which is, I would say, similar to winning the lottery in a lot of senses. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. The fact that they would want a dancer in the commercial, right? Sure, not first every of all, yeah. want someone dancing. <laughs> yeah. So starting there. And then on top of that, to be the dancer selected. Right. Out but, of yeah, all, you know, the that, pool of thousands of dancers who submitted, you know, it's like, oh my totally gosh. a lot of yeah. Totally. So that, I mean, that's the one in a million, I would say. But there's also a lot of other great commercials that come up more regularly that live in the SAG world that can also pay really, really big numbers. And that can be anywhere from, you know, 10,000 to 70 to 80,000, which again, for one day of work, oh my gosh. And that even still can feel like a little bit of a lottery because in LA, 10% of commercials are SAG after it. And again, you're also banking on there being a dancer in, in the commercial. So I would say outside of that commercial that you're going to see on TV, another way to make like really secure money is a tour. Mm. And actually most tours don't tend to fall under SAG after the last one that I know that really fell under SAG after that was with an artist was I believe Justin Timberlake was one of the first to do it. He provided his dancers with healthcare and did SAG after mm. and that was a huge deal. And that was it's great on his last tour that happened. And that was a huge deal. And i in my head, it would make sense that Taylor Swift's dancers were protected under sag after, but I actually don't know. They may have just been paid incredibly well and treated very well. Same thing with the Renaissance tour dancers. I know that they're being such an A-list artist, that check looked a lot bigger than your standard artist tour. But let's say you book a tour with just a, a regular music artist, that weekly minimum is to $2,163. And that would be if your tour extends past a three-week period. If a tour is shorter than three weeks, that's considered spot dates. And it would be charged as, you know, you charge half your rate for an off day, which, and then your show day is a show rate, your off days you get per diem, and then you're paid for travel days as well. Wow. So that would collect as your rate if it's less than three weeks. But if it's more than three weeks, you're working on that weekly rate. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Same thing applies to the agent commission and things like that for, for jobs like this, if you have an agent. Yes. Correct. Yeah. If you have an agent, 10% goes to them. And if you have a manager, 10% goes to them. Most dancers out here that I know do not have a manager that covers dance. It's not really typical out here. For example, I have a manager who does not, he's kind enough to not touch what I do in dance. And he just does on camera acting work. Mm. But all dance agents out here take 10%. And I will say that in, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I have found that when you're working commercially, it's a little bit easier for the agents to be able to negotiate 10% on top of what you're getting so it doesn't come out of what the dancers are getting. Well, so this is actually a common misconception. And oh. I learned this from working at a commercial agency for Tell uh, me. two years. So a lot of talent would come in saying, what did you do with my 10%? There was a 20% agency fee added on to the rate. I saw it on the breakdown. You did. But- where the way agents get paid, and this is at least in LA, it's under California law, is there's a fee that goes to the agents that says, thank you so much for giving us access to your talent, right? You sit there and you manage talent all day and you are um, tending to their photos, suggesting you know ways to help them improve their career, this, that, and the other. Thank you for giving us access to your talent, taking the time to submit, negotiating the deal, et cetera. Here's 20% of your talent's rate. That is the client paying to the agent. And then the talent has to pay to their agent as well. And that is an additional percentage that comes out. Interesting. A lot of talent are 
confused on that end, which it may be different in New York. There may be a different standard in New York state, but in California, I have fielded many a phone calls with angry (laughs) talent saying, where is my percentage? And I said, well, I have to reread the contract to you if this is actually, and that's yeah, a common misconception that that plus percentage is an agency fee that goes to the agent. And then you still have to pay your agent out of Mm. your fee. Read your contract, friends, read your contract. If it's in there. Yeah. That is, yeah. yeah, that's definitely, yeah. that's interesting to hear because I you see that like plus 10 and you're like, oh, okay, sweet, it's covered. But then actually it might not and, be. And what's interesting is if you don't have an agent, they don't have to pay that. Right. And people say, oh, well, why? Well, it's because that would just mm-hmm. go directly to them. Right. It's right. Not, not really what it's supposed rate, to be. <laughs> so exactly. Yeah. I want to share a quick uh, story from experience. And it was my one and only commercial that I ever did. And I when you were, when you use that as an example of being like the most lucrative option out in LA as a dancer, I did one commercial in New York City. It was the weirdest commercial ever. It's incredibly weird, y'all. You should look it up. <laughs> it, 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 when my agent sent me the audition, I was like, I'm not going to this audition. Like, what is this? I was asked to be a robot and come in and just like act, like do a robot and say a certain thing in this casting. And you, know, you get these castings sometimes that are just so far out there and don't utilize your dance skills whatsoever. But you're just like, I guess my agent sentenced me. I guess I'll go. Somehow I booked it. Don't know how. Somehow I booked it. I now have a savings account because of that commercial. <laughs> I'm telling you all, yeah. like, it was the, it was the easiest non-dance didn't you just literally run across a room or something dressed like a robot yeah i was in a robot (laughs) i got like i had to get like a life cast done of my face when they like mold your head for my costume like i was at this top tier like crazy i worked with like some crazy hollywood uh director like all these things over being a robot in a casting where i just like did the robot on camera and they're like you're booked and next thing you know i have a savings savings account of like thirty thousand dollars i made on that in residuals thirty thousand i was like the easiest gig of my life so i can see how people are like oh let's let's move to la and become you know in go into the commercial world but i will say like i like that sounds exciting but to me that was my lotto it was just this unexpected lottery gig that i got thank you agent but again like that was my one commercial gig in in new york city in 15 years so you know it's not a guarantee that you're going to be getting these types of jobs that we're talking about it's they're far and few between but like they do exist and you could be that lucky person so don't turn down the robot gig do not turn down any crazy commercial casting (laughs) you never know go to all the all of the sad commercial castings i don't care what they want you to do truly yeah i learned that very quick and yeah in line with what you're saying like a Broadway job too. Like you could be the luckiest person in the world and you're really bookable and you book a Broadway show. It's wonderful, but that show could close on opening night. And so there's the tricky part is there's no guarantees. Even if you're like, oh man, I'm going to be making the salary, which is true. And that might last you, you know, three weeks, your show closes and then you have to find another gig. And, and I think that's what some people look at those minimum salaries and go, oh my gosh, wow, being a dancer is so lucrative. And you're like, right. yes, and mm-hmm. that's possibly five weeks out of your year. And it's pos- yes. it's maybe the cast has six female dancers in it, and some of them have a pink contract and are not leaving that show. You know what I mean? So like when you're thinking of, I'm going to go do this. Well, first of all, so is a lot of other people. Secondly, there's a whole lot of other people already doing that who are not going to leave. Like if you have a job like that, and you are a happy person and you like this job and this is what you're supposed to do, like you're not leaving, barring, you know, injury, illness, 
act of God, like you're there, you're in that job. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always heard it said, and I, not to be discouraging, but like, if you want to do any, if you have other interests and you think you could be happy doing something else, do something else because <laughs> this job is so oh. tricky. Yeah. And I think worth it. I mean, I don't know, Kaylee Ann, what you think, but like, I am so glad that I do what I do and it has not been easy. It has right. always been such a struggle and I consider myself to have been very lucky in the jobs that I have gotten and it's still been a struggle. Yes. I could not agree more with that sentiment. Actually, I told my mom I was doing this podcast and she goes, I have things to say and that is you better want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mom, come on. Honestly, Mrs. <laughs> it's, it's true though. Yeah. Like, but she made a good point when she said that is like, you better love it. And you better be ready to hear no a lot. Mm -hmm. And it is worth it. But also like if you're not, if I talk to a lot of young dancers that maybe went to the same college I went to or the same dance studio back home. And they're like, I think I might maybe. And I said, think about it. And unless you have like a, I need to do this, maybe don't. Because there's probably 700 people at the open call that you're about to go to that want it more than they want to take their next breath. And it's not going to be fun <laughs> all the time. <laughs> right. And I think... If you, if the reason you are doing this is because it's an easy way to make money, that is also not a reason you should do this. Mm -hmm. You should want to do this. And it's not if true. You make, <laughs> you know, minimum way. Like it's going to end up not being, unless you are the lottery winner, unless you are that person, it, there are much easier ways to make a good salary. So that being said, let's yeah. jump over to some like, mid-range obtainable jobs. Let's talk about some of the jobs that a lot of people, there are, there are a lot of, there are a lot of opportunities to get as a, we, you might not be at the top tier just yet, but we all got to start somewhere. So what are, what are some type of jobs? Something that comes immediately to mind for me is a cruise ship. I love a cruise ship. If you've listened to the podcast, Leslie and I met as roommates on Royal Caribbean, both of our very first jobs ever. And I think it's a great job for anyone at any point in their career. I don't think it just has to be for dancers who are just breaking in because let's talk about pay on a cruise ship. I, I have some ideas, but it's FYI, also been a while. <laughs> yeah, um, FYI, I'm going to, Leslie and I were just reminiscing before we started and we were like, how much did we get paid on Royal Caribbean 15 years ago? I know for a fact that I got paid for my very first job. Eight, they, they pitch it in a monthly salary to make it sound more enticing when my 18-year-old brain like didn't know anything different. So I was like, sign me up. I got paid $450 a week to live on a cruise ship, y'all, at 18 years old, 15 years ago. That was like, what was I doing? What is happening? Well, <laughs> but I did no it expenses. and I loved it. You had no credit yes. card debt. You had no college student loans. Right. Yes. You lived your life. <laughs> So I want to say, so I worked for Disney Cruise Line. And again, this was in 2000, must have been 2011. So over 10 years ago. And I was also a dance captain. So I got a bump for being a dance captain. I was also, I was a, I got hazard pay because I was, I was like a tumble uh, circus act track. Uh, and I, Disney's pay rates get bumped anyway, because they're, they just pay really well. Yeah. I want to say that my minimum salary before I got any bumps 10 years ago was 1050 a week. Wow. That's I want to, I want to say it was over a thousand a week. And then I got some extra for dance captain and stuff. But the cool thing about Disney, and I don't know if they still do this. I'd have to ask my friend who, who works for them now, but they give you 
if you make it through your contract, because the contracts are really long for cruise ship contracts. My contract was a full 10-month contract. Mm Mm-hmm. And it, Disney's rules are really strict. Like part of the reason you get paid as well as you do is that you have to follow rules on your off time. You're not allowed to wear certain things. You have to speak in a certain way. Mm. You can't lean on things. It's called like you have to wear a Disney look and you have to like mm. behave in a way that is like Disney approved. So there are a lot of rules that go along with that. And if you make it through your contract, I believe it's that you get a 10% bonus when you get off your ship. A lot of cruise ships do that, a finishing bonus. So I got off my ship with 10,000 extra dollars. Great. I paid rent for a year because I had completed my contract. I got off my ship in LA. I spent a month in LA just seeing if I liked LA. No offense, Kaylee Ann, New York has my heart and I came back. But (laughs) and yeah, and I paid rent for a year with that bonus. And it was it was great. Yep. Anyway. And I will say that like, um, another thing I just want to just praise about cruise ships, I would say currently that like the rate for cruise ships feels like it's around like minimum 600 a week for like new, fresh, young dancers who are just breaking in or this is your first time working for this company, you don't have a lot on your resume, like min starting is around 600 a week. And then it can go over, like you said, Ash, like over a thousand, some even go up to like 1500 a week. That is- I was. I was just a, a dancer. Money. I wasn't even a principal. Right. Our like principals were making more than me anyway. Right. So like, I do think that, and like you said, Leslie, like I mentioned, I got paid no dollars doing Royal Caribbean, but like I got experience. I got to travel the world for free. I didn't have any expenses. My, all my food was taken care of. I put every single dollar into my pocket. I didn't have, like, I was saving every single dollar there. And then that's what allowed me to move to New York city. So, you know, if you look at it like, oh, that's not enough to survive. You don't have expenses. What do you pay? You don't even need a cell phone on a cruise ship. Like, you don't need to pay for your cell phone plan. They, they give you health care when you're on. They take care of you. So, like, everything's covered. There's literally nothing coming out of your pocket in bills unless you have, like, a mortgage back home or an apartment that you're, you know, didn't sublet. I paid a lot of student loans with, with that paycheck. Yeah. Right after college, that was really useful for me to pay back a lot of student loans. And a great thing, too, with the cruise ships now, since I've all... Uh, since you know Leslie and I and Ash were doing it is now they have musicals on cruise ships and those pay even more than like the standard generic dancer contracts so if you love if you want to be in hairspray if you want to be in cats if you want to be in Chicago on a cruise ship those options are there too and it's a great like way to kind of break into the quote-unquote Broadway scene by getting a little taste of what the musical life is like and they also teach you how to do like aerial work on cruise ships so and all of these things include like additional pay bumps so like I'm a huge like advocate for going and doing cruise ships because it's a great way to save money. And there's tons of options, opportunities out there. Like they need so many dancers. There's like however many cruise line companies. And then they have a trillion ships and those trillion ships need 10 dancers per ship. You know, tons of opportunity for dancers. There's also a regional theater. Regional theater is where I have like spent a lot of my time in my career. And I love working at large regional theaters mm-hmm. um, that pay really well. Also, um, the thing about regional theaters is they're often half and half. You can be non-union or you can be union. Either way, I've worked at regional theaters, non-union and union, and some of them pay really well. I've worked at like shout out to Tuacon Amphitheater out in Utah, in the, in the deserts of Utah. It's like an 80 foot by 80 foot stage with 40 feet in the back of mountain, like Red Rock Mountain. Um, I think it's a 2000 seat house and you do three shows in rep. It's a 
I want to say it's like an eight-month contract. It's April through November. And you run three shows in rep. And I was out there as a performer and as a dance captain and as an associate. So I got and I got bumps for all of that. Yeah, I was making some great money for for eight months. And, you know, in the meantime, they house you and, you know, per diem you get and- to do lots of hiking and per diem and stuff. So I, I had a great time working those regional contracts as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah I mean, there are a lot of great theaters. That's and once if, if you're a dancer who's moving to New York and you're looking for, you know, you start to learn the coveted theaters and the places people really want to work. Tuacon is one of them. It's one of those jobs that you're like, oh, my God, if I could just work there because of that, it's a long contract. You're doing Longevity. all these shows. It's beautiful. Yep. You're working with, you know, a lot of times Broadway choreographers are working out there. So like Tuacon is one of those ones that, you you know, it's it's not the lottery, but it feels like it because everybody wants to work there for many reasons. And the good thing about it is they have auditions in LA, they have auditions right. in New York, they travel around the country, and their casts are huge because the stage, the stage is, is huge. huge. <laughs> yeah. So my my Newsies cast, so I did Newsies in 2017. So our main cast, I want to say, had 30 people, wow. which is already huge. Yeah. And then we had an additional teen cast, like local teens who auditioned for us. The total amount of people on stage during the last scene was 78 people. Wow. Holy cow. That's amazing. Massive amounts of people, <laughs> which is it. great. It was, yeah, it's fun cool to be feeling. on stage with 50 people dancing at once. It's great. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, well, so I want to also just chime in a little bit on the regional theater land, because I was looking back at some of my regional theater contracts, and they were pretty depressing. They were pretty sad. And what what I wanted to say about that is when you are in New York City and you are a non-union dancer specifically, and again, with the changes in equity and how you can join, things are slightly different now. But it still, it still, I think, matters that you have to make a decision for yourself is, do I want to work? And am I okay taking X amount of money to work? Because sometimes, you know, you're not going to get a job that, that, that ticks all of your boxes. You know, we have, does this fill my heart? Does this fill my paycheck? Does this fill my need to put something on my resume? Like there's all Mm -hmm. these things you have to decide, is this worth it for me? And, you know, at the time when I was working, I wanted to work. And if you were only going to pay me $350 a week to work, you know what, I'm going to sublet my apartment, and I'm going to do it, because I wanted something on my resume, and I wanted to work. Now, was I worth more than that? Absolutely. Did I do a much better job than somebody else in the cast who was also getting paid $350 a week? (laughs) Yes. But you have to make those decisions. And I think that's important for parents to hear too, that like, if you don't understand why your child took this job that only pays $350 a week, it's probably because of those other two things, you know? I've always heard it's the rule of three. And like you're saying, mm-hmm. Leslie, I, some one of my mentors like broke it down as like, you have to get something yes. from every job that you yep. do, right? Mm. Um, it could be uh, pay is like one of the three. Mm-hmm. So like really great pay. Two is like experience working with somebody right. or doing something that you've never done before. So experience. Mm. Or the third would be like, travel or ex- mm-hmm. uh, like life experience, right? Mm-hmm. So you need, my mentor was like, you need two of three. Yeah. You need great money and somebody that you've always wanted to work with or somebody you've always wanted to work with, no money and a great location right. or yeah. vice versa. So I, now I try to do that. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if it's a job that doesn't give me any of those three, for me right. these days, the answer you is no. Yeah. But as a younger dancer, I was one of three. I was like, right. I'll take right. one of the three. Yeah. yeah. But now I now I try to go two of three at least. But three of three is, you know, ideal. So 
Kaylee Ann, could you tell us a little bit about what other types of jobs there are out in the LA dance scene that might not be those lottery commercials and might not be touring with an artist, but what other jobs come to mind for dancers that are booking all the time, like those exact type of jobs? What, what's out there? Yeah, absolutely. I think what comes to mind when you're looking at like those daily breakdowns that are coming through on either Actors Access or Casting Networks, otherwise called LA Casting, you're seeing a lot of music videos. You're seeing a lot of non-union commercial. Mm -hmm. That's 90% of the commercial scene out here. And there are a lot of commercials filming. So a lot of non-union commercials, which can still pay a fair amount. And then there's also television and film. And that I would say it feels a little bit more uh, exclusive in LA. They tend to want to work with SAG-AFTRA dancers, which Mm. can be a tough decision to make as a dancer. Because for me, I work a lot commercially and I work on a lot of non-union commercial. And so if I were to join SAG-AFTRA, I would not be able to work on those non-union commercials. So that can also be a really difficult decision and something that sometimes parents may have a hard time understanding. Why wouldn't you join SAG-AFTRA? There's there's healthcare and and you could get those TV film jobs, which can secure you, you know, if you're filming on a whole season and dancers are in a few episodes. I mean, I know that the one in New York is Marvelous Miss Maisel. And you can really have longevity with that job. But, you know, Good Trouble is a show that filmed out here that used a lot of dancers. The Idol used a lot of dancers out here. So there's these jobs that can give you that stretch like a tour could, but they want sag after dancers. And so that can be sticky. You know, you work three of them and all of a sudden you've got to join the union. Right. Um, and sag fi is another conversation. And it's something that some people think it's the devil and you should never touch it. Other people think it's what you have to do these days to make money. Mm. And um, I think that that could be a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> FICOR or no. Um, I think it's I a really honestly, personal choice. I don't know. Can you say more about that? I don't even know what FICOR is. So FICOR, I believe, is short for financial core or something of that nature. FICOR means that you are essentially one foot in and one foot out of the union. Oh. oh. Old, school, old school casting directors, um, perhaps even choreographers and people who are like old school agents and things will say, no. I don't want to sign you if you're FICOR. I don't want to look at you if you're FICOR. I'm not calling you in. (laughs) But I have heard that since COVID, that has changed significantly because a lot of people can't afford to continue to pay their SAG dues. And so the tune has changed among casting directors, especially in LA. FICOR is not as stigmatized as it might be in New York. Um, But you essentially lose the right to, I think, be nominated for like a SAG award or Mm. like an Academy Award. Uh, You lose the right to healthcare. You lose screeners. Mm -hmm. But you're you're given the same status as being a SAG actor or dancer. Um, So you can work on SAG projects with the same protections, and you can call yourself SAG, kind of. And you can also work on non-union without breaking rules. Wow. Oh, that actually sounds like the best of both worlds. I know, yeah. right? I like, know. I just don't have these expectations for these jobs. And I understand that. And that's fine. <laughs> I'm very pro FICOR, but some people believe that it's working against what the union is trying to do. Right. And I also really respect that view. Um, but it's really tough when the breakdown of commercial work and dance work is what it is. I think as dancers, it's really hard to justify the cost of your SAG dues. Yep. So my reality is I... I you know, I am someone that would support FICOR, but I also know yeah. that that's kind of a hot take. I'm also in the place now where I'm, I work as a choreographer a lot, and I'm thinking of joining SDC, which is Stage Directors and Choreographers Union. But it's another union with similar dues and similar working dues. And like, there's like a fee to join. I think right now SDC is 
a little bit above $2,000 to join initially. And then you pay like $284 a year plus your working dues. But I've heard, I'm doing research now because do I want to belong to two unions? Do I want to belong Mm -hmm. to equity? And do I want to belong to SDC? But it would, yeah, I'm, I'm now in that boat of like seeing if that's useful to me or not. Yeah. But I, anyway, I'm going to stop talking, but that's, that's something that I'm dealing with right now. It's yeah. It's, it's tough to, to figure out because it use it on paper can look so black and white. Like, of course I want to work to get my side card and then I right. want to be in the union. Hello. Right. Like, that is the goal. I get protected. I get this certain pay that's guaranteed and, and I'm taken care of and I get hazard pay and whatever. But but then you look at, well, I actually like, I need to get stuff on my resume. Right. I need to be able to actually work. And, you know, I think you guys mentioned like, oh, getting into equity is not as tough as it used to be. And I would say it's the same thing with SAG. I know people, you can work as an extra, which yeah. not to say that extra work is not legitimate work. But if you're going in to try to get a um, television and film agent off of the fact that, well, I'm SAG, they're going to look at you and say, what, what did, did you, you do? do to get your SAG card? Mm-hmm. I, I stood on the say, mark I and I walked over here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like unfortunately, when they're looking at that, they're going to say, "Oh, you actually don't have enough credit." And then, without that agent behind you, or without at least one co-star credit acting on TV or being a principal dancer in a show, all of a sudden you're in the big leagues with the big dogs without a resume and experience, or maybe even knowledge of the space to stand your own. So, while SAG after is always a, a good goal to have in mind if it aligns with what you want to do. It's not necessarily the key to winning the lottery or winning that success. And you can also work on those SAG commercials and get that Super Bowl commercial or that big SAG commercial while being non-union. That's true. So it's not I'm non-union like out of that. I did a commercial as a SAG performer. You, you got a waiver. Yeah, yeah. I've done those too. Yeah. But, and there's a loophole here. I know this is turning into like a union discussion, but like it's- It matters to so money. much to do with the pay scale <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that it's almost yeah. impossible not to talk about right. it. But dance companies- are the, at least in New York, often the loophole. Yes. So you can like, and, and shows that are dance based. So if you're talking about Sleep No More in New York City, for example, huge like dance show based on the Scottish play. <laughs> can we say it? We're not in a theater. We're not in a theater. There you go. Shakespeare's <laughs> Macbeth. Uh, don't listen to so, this in a theater, guys. <laughs> don't listen to this in a theater. Bad luck if you don't know that superstition. But uh yeah, so if you're in Sleep No More, which is a dance-based show, it's it's halfway between, I'd say, theater and concert dance, and I love it so much. And a lot of per- people I went to school with like ended up in that show. One of my best friends was in that show for 10 years, and I could talk about that pay scale, but they're neither equity or SAG or AGVA or anything. They are not controlled by a union. And how they how the producers did that is like a little bit I think under scrutiny, like the question is, should it be allowed that they are no union at all? And it's a good question. But dance companies too don't necessarily have unions. So whether you are equity or non-equity, you can join one of these shows. And the pay comparatively is a little bit less than a like equity rate would be. There are not the same protections. There are not the same breaks guaranteed. This goes like dance companies in general. Um, one of the reasons I like switched over to theater and now do a lot of theater is I was working for a number of modern dance companies in New York, small ones, and I wasn't getting breaks. Like I would uh. rehearse for four hours in a row and say, can I use the bathroom? And they're like, no, you can't. We're like running it again. No protection. And then no protection, no health care. I got injured. I dislocated my knee and like I had to pay out of pocket to like go to the hospital because I didn't have health care at the time. You know, all this, 
all these shenanigans. And when I transferred over to theater, I was like, oh my gosh, we get a break. break. <laughs> um, five minutes break. every hour or 10 minutes every hour and a half. And like, that, and they're serious about it. I can use it. the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can use the bathroom. Oh my gosh. I get healthcare. I get workers comp if I get injured on the job. Like Those ugh, protections what are a great. different world. Yeah. But, yeah. Can you speak on the company side? Like when you were doing the modern dance companies, I mean, what's a general week? Cause I, I do think it's important for our listeners to hear because let's be real. We all know this as competition judges, contemporaries ruling the world and everyone wants to dance contemporary. Can you make it as a contemporary dancer and a modern dancer in the professional world? And what's that salary look like? Well, I can only speak to my experience, but I do have some friends. Like I have some friends that dance for Mark Morris, which if you don't know, is like a really well-regarded modern dance company in Brooklyn. They make, uh, if you're a full-time company member, you make a living wage. I'm trying to remember what my friends have told me, but- Ballpark. Like as in that's the job they have and they don't do anything else. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. When you're you're contracted with a modern dance company, often you are also required to teach classes. Mm. Um, there's usually community outreach involved. So I know- my friend who worked for Ryrie Woodbury in Utah, also huge, like wonderfully beautiful, well-regarded modern dance company. He was required when they were on tour to teach community dance classes. Like that was part of his salary. So it wasn't just that he was a performer. He also had to teach. He also had to do Q&A and that's part of his contract. I want to say, I, I don't want to get this wrong because it's been so long since I've been in that scene, but I want to say like $1,000 a week, maybe. Maybe a little less. Okay. Um, sometimes that comes with healthcare. Sometimes that doesn't. But I had this really interesting discussion with some young dancers, which is like, if if you're not part of a like well-funded modern dance company or even ballet company, right? I danced for a very small ballet company in Georgia right out of school, and I was getting paid, you know, maybe three hundred dollars a week Wh- when you were like 2000... quote unquote in season, right? That wasn't the whole year. Yeah. That was for no. three months or whatever you were and. It really depends. And I I was in this dance company that I only got paid per show. So we would rehearse, you know, wow. five days a week. And then we had a show and I'd get paid like $100 a show. Wow. And, but that show only came around, you know, we did five performances for the month of November and then four performances for the month of January. Like it was not by any means, it was commission based. Yeah. So because there really aren't rules governing dance company work, it's kind of a free for all. At least that was my experience. And maybe other people, ballet companies are different. Like if you're part of Alvin Ailey or you're part of American Ballet Theater or you're uh, part of City Ballet, like to me, those are the jobs that you don't have to do anything else. You can just concentrate. But most modern or concert dancers will be required. You'll also have another job. You'll be teaching and doing work like because that. Because you that can't was the thing. survive off of $300, $500, like, $600 in New York City. And get food. Yeah. Right. And and I was doing like, I was dancing for three companies and teaching dance five days a week at a local studio. Yeah. And I was barely making rent. Right. And I was like, this, this is crazy. <laughs> and then I ended up working for Disney and I was like, oh, this is way better. Let me do more <laughs> of this. Yeah. And that's kind of how I ended up. I never thought I was going to be in the theatrical scene. I thought I was going to be a concert dancer. Ready to take your competition dance to the next level? Looking for a fresh set of eyes to critique your solo? Then say hello to IDA's online judges critiques. Simply send us a video of your dance 
whether it's from an in-studio rehearsal or an on-stage performance, and our judges will take it from there. You'll receive a standard video critique just like you get at competition, but we take it one step further with our best-selling feature, 10 to 15 minutes of post-critique additional feedback. Your judge can now go back through your dance to elaborate and explain their corrections in further detail, and even pause the video to show you exactly what they are referencing throughout their critique. Parents, dancers, choreographers, and studios are loving this personalized and professional service for our dance world. We even offer genre-specific judge requests, 24-hour rush delivery, and bulk order discounts for studios submitting five or more dances. Prices start at only $35 per critique and are available year-round. Visit our website to learn more and submit your dance now at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash online critiques. Get ready to wow the judges at your next competition after using IDA's online judges critiques. We can't wait to see your dance. Well, so let's jump really quickly before we have to wrap up to Kaylee. And I want to hear what folks do out on that side of the country in terms of not necessarily survival jobs, like not babysitting or nannying or teaching dance, although we all know teaching dance is something dancers can do to continue to make money doing what they know how to do. What are the sort of like one-off gigs, side gigs that people get as dancers to still dance, but maybe it's not necessarily what we're thinking of as a contract? Yeah, absolutely. I think like promotional live events, maybe you're not at the event being a backup dancer for the performer, but maybe you're at the event. I know this happens a lot around New Year's time. You're perhaps atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So maybe you are on a platform doing kind of like soft magical movement and you've got feathers tied to you (laughs) or something like that. You're not necessarily, and maybe there's no choreography, like maybe you're just freestyling for four hours, Um, but promotional events like that, or maybe, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, a water company wanted to have an event and they wanted people dressed like dewdrops dancing yep. around the event. Mm. I know I did a ho- I worked at the holiday party for SpaceX. Oh wow. And they had me dressed in a like an astronaut suit nice. and I did a flash mob. <laughs> yes. You know, like that wasn't I wouldn't say like, oh I you know, like we performed at the stadium where whatever, but I wouldn't say like I danced at that stadium right. like I would for an artist. So it is a little bit different, but can still be like, that's a one-off gig. Yep. Usually there's no rehearsal or there's very little rehearsal. Another thing is um, choreography and movement direction. Uh, movement direction is actually something that I've like recently kind of been diving into. And that doesn't necessarily mean choreography. Sometimes it can, but it doesn't always. For example, if there's a commercial happening and they are hiring a model and some models have incredible movement, Others of them, it's just not their nature. They're not used to moving or they don't know what it looks and feels like when they move. So you're there as kind of a movement expert to help them figure out how to look natural on camera. So those can be another one-off gig thing that can come up. Another thing that's really popular is fitness instruction. You can teach Zumba, you can teach a hip-hop fitness, jazz fitness, things like that. I know a lot of dancers that also do that sort of work. I also like work in production behind the scenes. Those are great because you don't have to commit to a nine to five. Um, that's why I left working at an agency as a survival job because I couldn't keep up with such a consistent schedule and also go on tour and things like that. But with production work, you could be a production assistant or I, um, an associate producer. Things like that are a lot easier than you'd think to dive into because there are a lot of production companies out here. And a lot of the skills that we have as dancers actually really align with 
what they tend to need behind the scenes at productions. And it's a great way to get on set experience. If you've never been on a set before, mm. work as a PA. That's true. It's really, really great experience that you can know like, okay, and who knows? You may make a connection with those producers and next time they have a commercial that needs dancers, maybe you're the first person they call. So it's a great kind of dual way to, to do that. Yeah. I brought that up just because I, you know, I think people that are dancers want to utilize their skills that they already have in between the long contracts and everything. And so some of the things that I know in New York are very popular are like bar and bat mitzvah party starters. Like <laughs> that is an excellent quick dance related gig that you're going to get paid three, $500 for the night. You learn a little bit of choreography, you hang out with the kids, you teach them, you know, fun dances. I've gotten paid even more for bar bat mitzvah. Oh, really? yeah. Like yeah. nice. I left. I remember I did one years ago. I got $800 and I got tipped $200. Nice. Yes. That's it right there. Like, that's the, and, and when we say like some of these jobs as dancers aren't easy, well, that's easy. Like go do the bar mitzvah thing because that's $800 in your pocket where you just got to like do the electric slide. It's not going to change your life, <laughs> but you might right. meet some, like might meet some great people in the process. You might make connections. You will get a, a little chunk of change in your pocket and you can go have a nice dinner yeah. and pay your rent. Like, right. and you know what else pays really well as a survival job? Working for dance competition. Yes. Boom. That's and that amazing. Is also, that. yes, we we love <laughs> yeah. a dance competition over here at Impact Dance Adjudicators and making the impact. So a lot, I'm sure for our listeners, a lot of your judges are either previous or current professional dancers who might be in between gigs or might be actively auditioning, but they can slip away for the weekend and come judge your dancers. Like, it is a really great survival job to break into the industry, but it does require a lot of expertise. So if you think you're, you know, 19 years old coming to Los Angeles and think you're going to sit in the judging panel, probably not happening for a few years. We need a little bit more experience under your belt. You need to be actively teaching. You have to be have some credits, you know, things like that. So though I will say what I did and Leslie, you work for MICDA. Mm -hmm. NYCDA, while I was in college, I worked backstage for them. Mm. I would, you know, pull curtain, I would do trophies. And like, I mean, that organization like really helped me out. And so when I first graduated college, I was able to travel with and I worked for Onstage New York mm -hmm. as well. So I was able to do that on the weekends and then audition during the week. Yep. And that was that was a good survival job for me as well. Yeah. So those those are just some some of the opportunities that there are. There's one of the best paying jobs out there, honestly, and it's not the most glamorous, and I absolutely did not want to do it for a very long time, is costume character work. Mm. Because when you put on that head yes. and you put on that body, you are, you're working. It's hard. It's not that it's easy because you're in a 50 pound costume trying to be Elmo and like, you know, have a great time, but it pays really well because they know how hard it is. And those companies like Sesame Street, like PBS, like any of those, any of those things you see across the country, they pay really well because they know how hard you're working. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you are a very tall person, a lot of times you're very in demand for some character work, a very short person, you're in demand, you know, yes, you're middle range people, but a lot of times they're really, really seeking people who can fit those costumes and can do quote unquote Sesame Street for adults. You have to be big, you have to be excited, you have to be, you know, animated in this costume. And like I said, it's not the most glamorous work out there, but it actually pays really well. So if you're really just thinking about your paycheck, that's a thing you could do. Also, TYA work. Uh, yes. Theater for young audiences, usually touring. I got my equity card doing a TYA contract and geared towards young audiences, often supported by local organizations. And, you know, you perform for a lot of kids and 
you know, sometimes you're teaching them lessons about life and not bullying and things like that. But it's it's a nice way to uh, make some money and travel and, you know, uh, interact with a lot of like young theater goers, which is kind of magical. Watching some kids see theater for the first time is, is kind of lovely, yeah. you know. Yeah. As we're sitting here and, and seeing like how this conversation evolved, I feel like that this is just like a general chat of pay rates and unions and survival jobs and working as a professional in the industry type of, of chat. And as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh my God, there's so much more to say. But I almost think that for our listeners, we're, I would love to do some more spinoffs of, of this where it's let's just focus strictly on the New York dance scene. Let's focus strictly on the Los Angeles dance scene. Let's focus strictly on cruise ship, just on Broadway. I mean, we can like literally like slice this down and speak on an hour about just those things. And definitely, I think we should do a union versus non-union to dive into that even more, as well as an entire episode on survival jobs, I think needs to happen too. So like, this is just a nice little overview of like, you got a little glimpse into what it's like to be a working professional. And one other thing I just want to mention that we've kind of talked about, um, just to kind of wrap this up for all of our listeners out there for clarity purposes, is that, as we mentioned, you have to audition to get all of these jobs that we've talked about. I mean, that is a requirement. You don't just hand a resume and get hired. You usually have to audition and network and have the right connections and have the right experience. But a lot, if not all, majority of these jobs will come to an end because they're contract-based. So like we said, unless you get that pink card Broadway show, unless you're in Cirque du Soleil that's never closing, unless you are in a TV show as a series regular that's not going anywhere, then you probably are doing this for a very short period of time within maybe a three-week contract to a six-month contract to a one-month contract to a year contract, maybe two years if you're lucky. But most of the time, dancers have to actively continue to seek work. I just want to make sure Mm -hmm. that everyone understands that because, you know, you might think you're in with this company and your contract's over and they don't rehire you. That's how it can work. Or you might get in with this company. There are people who have worked for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines for 10 plus years because they love it and they just keep getting rehired, rehired, rehired. And that's great if that's what you love to do, if that's what you want to do and get in. But like those types of like long term jobs aren't always there in the dance world. So I just want to reiterate that to everybody, because there you can get paid good money to be a performer and entertainer in this world. But it might come and go and come and go and come and go. <laughs> and the trickiest thing yeah. about it is you have to reprove yourself yeah. every time. Like, I, I mean, I think people say to an extent, right? You build up a resume and you're like, look at all these things I've done. So now I'm on a different tier. I'm on a different level. You should be able to hire me without me auditioning. That's not usually the case. There is something called offer only, but you know, Sutton Foster is offer only. (laughs) (laughs) I I am not offer only. (laughs) But uh, uh, that means you are hired sight unseen because people know your work. But the the tricky part for me, especially as I've gotten older in the industry, is having to prove myself again and again Mm -hmm. and again, even after you just got off of a contract Mm -hmm. saying, oh, look, I already know this show. I can do this show again because I've already done it. I just showed you that I could do it well for six months. Can you hire me again to do the show? And the answer isn't always yes. You're now against a new pool of people. And that's the struggle for me. I wish that it could be like, ah, look at my resume, just like a normal job. See, I have experience. Hire me now. Call a reference, but that's it. (laughs) I know. Yeah. 
And it's funny too, because a lot of times, like you said, you're having to prove yourself time and time again. And if we were in that corporate setting, that resume would do, would do the talking. Perhaps there would be an interview, but it probably wouldn't be as grueling as our audition processes. You're being asked to kind of reshow the same skills over and over. And what's funny is not all the time, but sometimes, and I would say it happens a lot, unfortunately, in LA, but you could go to an audition not knowing what the pay for that job is, but just knowing that that name is flashy. Oh. And it's so funny because I talk to my non-dance friends and family and they'll say, I would never go in for a job interview and waste my time if I did not know what I was mm-hmm. getting paid. And I didn't have clarity on what the position is. Because sometimes you go to these open calls for these tours, and all you know is the artist is really famous. What does the tour look right. like? What's really the style of dance? What cities be? are you going to? How long to? am yep. I on yeah. stage? Yeah, how long? And, and also, like just because you got the yes in the room, you could get to rehearsal and be fired. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't get you know the money that you thought you were going to get, right? You you book the tour and you say, yes, okay, you find out you're going to make X amount of money. You plan your life around that amount of money. And then, oh, you get fired mid-rehearsal process mm-hmm. because they didn't like X, Y, Z. Or the artist comes in and says, mm, she's not the right, right. fit. Absolutely. So it's also like, we don't know what we're, we don't know what we're getting paid. It's not guaranteed. Even when you get the yes, it's not a yes until the job is completely done. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't trust any any contract I get until I'm walking into rehearsal on day yeah. one. Yep. Like I assume that yeah. this job is going to produce decide <laughs> it's going to deteriorate. People decide that like we're not going to produce the show. Actually, right. like I don't believe it until I'm walking into the stage door, and then I believe it. I usually say like my rule of thumb. Yeah. Like I mean, I'm I'm the same way, but especially for anyone out there for dancers who are breaking into the industry. Do not announce anything that you might have quote unquote booked until you have signed a contract or are walking into that first day of the job. Um, And there are a lot of times where you're not even able to say what you are working on. There's a lot of NDAs and things, NDAs and things. So making sure that you read your contract, don't get too excited too quickly and tell the world that you're doing something before you actually can tell them and make sure you know what you're getting paid and what you're signing up for before you say yes to anything. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Read your contract. Please read your contract. Oh, I have yes. so many horror stories. I'm sure you do too, Kayleen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I think too, like there's this narrative around like, and maybe like friends and family who aren't as knowledgeable about what it really takes to be a dancer. People will kind of make you believe that like, you know, dancers aren't lawyers. Dancers aren't this. We're right. smart. And we have the ability to read that contract, to stand our ground, ask if you don't know, it's okay to not know. But like, Dancers are smart and I refuse to let people, you know, tell us, well, you, you know, you wouldn't know. That's why you're getting, you know, screwed over on this contract or whatnot. It's like, no, I, you know, and don't let someone say, that's not what that says. Yes, it is. And stand Mm -hmm. your ground because people like to think they can pull fast ones. But as the, we had a, a speaker once say at my school, the smartest people in the room are dancers because Mm -hmm. they have to think quick and they're put under a lot of pressure and expected to perform like they're not. Mm -hmm. So read the contract and also stand your ground. I love your soapbox. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The thing that I'm, I'm realizing the older I get, I used to think that like, Oh, if I didn't say yes to everything they wanted me to say yes to, then I lose the job. Yes, that could happen. And like, maybe that's a job better lost. If, if they're going to deny you like the rights, you know, you deserve Maybe that's not a job that you need to take. I mean, I'm, I'm getting better at saying no. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty powerful thing. And when you're young and you're hungry, you're like, I'll say yes to everything. Don't say yes to everything. Say yes to the things that are worth your time. Yeah. Is maybe my advice. Yeah. It's great advice. Yeah. And it also puts you in kind of that, that I don't want to say better or worse because it's not that, but by saying no, sometimes you kind of put yourself that next step above. 
saying, oh, I actually, I, I know I'm not going to call Ashley uh, for this job. I'm going to call her for this job mm. because I actually, you know, sh- she may not go for this, this job that's 150 a week, but I know I could actually save her for this job that's 700 a week because mm. I know that that's more her, her speed. And so you can sometimes weed out the jobs you don't want to do by saying no to one yeah. that doesn't really fit your, your, your thing. That's true. Great advice. Well, y'all, this was a great chat. I hope that all of our listeners learned a little bit of something as to what it looks like to be a professional in the industry. There's a lot of different avenues that your dancer can go into. There's a lot of different side hustle and survival jobs that they can jump into that are still within the world of dance. And we're going to have so many more chats. I can't wait because we could just talk about this all day, obviously. Um, There's just so much to say about it. And we've all lived through beautiful careers. So uh, thank you to our fabulous guests, Kayleigh-Ann and Ashley, for joining us today on this chat. You shared so much great advice to all of the listeners out there, the dance world, aspiring professionals, parents of aspiring professionals, and how all of our guests always lead us out on making the impact, leading us out with one final thought on the topic today. And it can be a little bit of advice. It could be guidance or something that you've learned throughout your career that you want to share, something you wish you knew before you broke into the professional world, whoever you'd like to speak to regarding pay rates in the dance world. Maybe I'll say that as a dancer, you have worth and you deserve to be paid. A mentor of mine always says, you're not always being paid for the job you're currently doing. You're also being paid for the years of training that went into getting you to the place you are now. So never say, oh, well, I only did four counts of eight. I don't need this amount of money. Well, you spent 20 years learning how to do those eight counts of eight. So you are worth the salary that you're getting and you should fight to have a livable wage as a dancer. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I would say, and this may be like a little bit counterintuitive to what we've been saying, right? We had that little moment where we were kind of discussing like, you better really want to do it. You know, don't do this if you're only one foot in, one foot out. But I also want to like flip that narrative and say like, you can do it. It is hard. You sometimes need more than just two survival, you know, your dance job and a survival job. Sometimes you need more survival jobs than you have dance jobs. Um, That often can be the case, but it's also, it is possible to make money as an artist, as a performer. And don't let someone who maybe doesn't have as much knowledge of the dance industry, a parent or a teacher or a friend that may not know what it is to work as an artist, don't let them scare you out of pursuing your passion. If it's really what you want to do, there's money to be made. There's space in the industry for you. There's a job for everyone. And you may need a couple survival jobs to make it happen, but you can do it. And working as a performer is a job. It is a career and it is valid just as much as a corporate job. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode all about pay rates in the professional dance industry. Shout out to our special guests and IDA judges for joining us on this chat. You can find Kaylee Ann on Instagram at underscore Kaylee Ann underscore and Ashley at ALM433. Don't forget to follow Making the Impact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you want more exclusive episodes, support our podcast by joining our Platinum Premium membership for only $5 a month. Subscribers receive free Making the Impact stickers, shoutouts live on the air, ad-free listening, and exclusive access to our Q&A episodes for members only. Join now at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash platinum premium, or click the link in our show notes. Be sure to check out IDA-affiliated competition, Star Talent. Star Talent will be celebrating their 18th season in 2024. 
They are thrilled to continue to work with Impact Dance adjudicators by having IDA judges on all of their judging panels. Star Talent holds events in West Virginia, Tennessee, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. And their national finals will take place in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, June 19th through 23rd, 2024. Their program was created to provide a positive dance environment for both recreational and competitive dancers. Their goal is to offer an atmosphere that is fun, organized, and fair for your dancers, teachers, and parents. Star Talent believes that competition is about becoming the best dancer that you can be in performance and attitude. Awards are presented by category and divisions, and high score awards are separated by three levels. To learn more about Star Talent and to register for an upcoming event in their 2024 season, visit their website at startalentproductions.com or check out their Facebook and Instagram at Star Talent Productions. Coming up in the next few weeks on Making the Impact, look forward to competitions versus convention competitions, continuing education for teachers, and duo trios. We hope your dance season is going great. Thanks for tuning in week after week. We'll see you next week. Until then, keep dancing.